Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. God, thank you for Chris. Thank you for his heart. Thank you that um, I'm just seeing a picture of like the way the gospel, like um, it's like through your veins. <laughs> and um, I just thank you for that. And Chris, and I thank you for that heart and just like keeps pushing out of you. And I just, um, yeah, I just pray for that today, that we would see Chris's heart as he shares um, you. Amen. How's everybody doing? Good, good. All right, we're going to get, we get real today, real. Uh, so uh, bef- actually, before we begin this, though, can you uh, put the terms and conditions for this? Yeah, so if you guys could just read this before we have this sermon, uh, and, and just, uh, on your phones you can click, just click uh, if you accept or not. If you don't accept, you can't, you can't be here, but uh, it, just, it helps because there's legal things, as, you know, I just want to protect myself and, and everything, and it's good to protect yourself, you know, so that, that's one of them, and then there's the next one, you can show the, the yeah, it's, you can read the fine print later, but it's, it's all good stuff, I, you know, just read that. Um, so, oh, thank you. It's, it's droopy. It's droopy, yeah. We have, terms and conditions are, are a good thing, and they're a bad thing. And I've noticed a pattern in my life that the more I know someone, the less terms and conditions I have on the relationship. And we're going to see, we're going to read a, a story in the Bible of the disciples and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were like the religious elite uh, and the terms and conditions they had on their life and how it affected their life. And what we're going to see here is, is the closer we are to God, the less terms and conditions we're going to have. And the further away, the more we're going to have. And the ramifications of that are real. There's a plant we just moved into our bathroom to, to, to get a little more green in the bathroom. And there's not much light in the bathroom. And that plant's starting to die. Our lives, your life will wither the more terms and conditions you have in your life with Jesus. It's gonna wither. And so let's read this with that kind of gravitas because there's an impact on this. Um, It's Matthew 26, 31. And uh, actually, Harry's gonna read it for us. I can bring it over. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. 
and began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you mean cannot keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed saying, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, hail rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you've come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. And all the disciples left him and fled. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following him at a distance uh, as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, this man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to, said to him, do you not answer? What is it these men are, are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power 
and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he is blasphemed. What further need do we have of a witness? Behold, have you now heard the blasphemy? What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. And then they spat in his face and beat him with their, their fists and others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who was the one that hit you? The word of the Lord. Let's give Harry a big hand. That was great. We got a big text. All right, so we're going to summarize it and we're going to find a theme amidst it. Uh, gosh, big things going on. So recap real quick. All right, so they're in the upper room in the Last Supper. All right, and, and there's, you know, there's a picture of that drawn by Leonardo da Vinci. Like he was there. He painted it. And... Um, so he's up there, he, he gives this, this proclamation. They go into the garden to pray. The, Judas shows up with a bunch of, like, the, of the high priest's men and, like, and some thugs. They arrest Jesus, they take him to their own ruling council, and then they convict him and decide to bring him to, to Pilate. But uh, yeah, but not before hitting him and spitting on him. So the disciples and and the Sanhedrin, which is the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're uh, ruling elite. They're like the religious leaders of the area. Both made mistakes here. And I believe that both of the mistakes were from their proximity to God and how close they were to God. Andy Stanley is this pastor in uh, somewhere in the South. And uh, he has this, one of the very first sermons I ever heard was him describing having a, a child and he was, he was popular in his church. A lot of people knew him. And so people would want to, all, all these strangers would come up to him and say, hey, can we hold your baby? And, and you know, he didn't feel comfortable. It was, it was a very quick litmus test of how much he knew somebody, Is it, whether he would like, be willing to like, let, it, let his baby be held by them. And the, it's, it's a, a simple formula of just knowing someone by spending time with them. A simple formula. And I've seen it within my own relationships. I've seen, you know, if someone asks me to go get a ride to the airport, I, you know, for the most part, if it works out, I'll say yes. But if it's 4 a.m., it's like, nope, you can Uber. Because if I don't know them that well, I'm not gonna, I have a term and I have a condition of a boundary in my life that I'm just not gonna give everyone rides to the airport at 4 a.m. This is how, how I live and that's how I operate. And we have those terms and conditions and they're, they're in place for a reason. And they're a, they're a self-protection. They're, they're, it's good, good for a point, but they can really be detrimental in relationships and in our relationship with God. I mean, even uh, marriage here. Uh, you know, I've in terms of interest on a lot of people, but I've, I've probably the least amount with, with Jill. But it's because it's not just blind faith. It's not just like, oh, I, oh I, this, is, this is it, okay, so I just blindly trust. I knew her for like three years before we started dating. There's, there's this time spending with her, seeing what, what she's like, seeing who she is. And, and, and it's, and it's this, this trust that, that takes time to build. And it's not something that you just kind of just have to force yourself or white knuckle yourself into. And I feel myself doing that a lot with God rather than going to the source, the, the root of the problem, which is just not spending time with him. And another thing too is that even, even the amount of intimacy we have and the, and the trust we do have, it needs to be renewed constantly. It needs constant maintenance. And a lot of times we think that, uh, oh gosh, you know, like, I, I've, oh, I've been, I've been so close with God. I've been so close with God. Three years ago, I was super close with him. And now we're close. And it's like this, and, and sure, we go through tough times. Like we go through, there's seasons of relationships. There's all kinds of things. But if, 
if we're not doing that daily maintenance with him, there, there, it's gonna, our relationship's gonna suffer with him and our life is going to suffer. Your life will literally suffer the further you are away from God. Because I've seen even like the, the smallest things sometimes become a big deal. If we haven't spent a lot of time in the last, like for three days in a row, we've just been busy and like a little thing will come up and we'll get into a fight over it. All because there's this, this separation that's already existing between us. Even though we've spent so much time together and we should both be reasonably giving each other the benefit of the doubt. But a little space develops and we need to constantly renew that. Uh, and, it's, and it's work. It's work, but it's fun work. It just takes awareness of it. So being aware. So with God, having that, the entry point into relationship with him, deeper relationship, always, it always is that cross right there. This specific one, actually. You need to take it to your house, take a picture of it. The cross is the entry point into, into a relationship with God, always, every morning. C.S. Lewis has a quote, it's, I think it's the third quote on there, uh, that, um, the third one down, uh, Relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. <sighs> we cannot, there's no laurels to rest on from the day before. There's nothing. It's daily bread. It's daily renewal. And, uh, and I've seen, Tim Keller is a great pastor, has this, uh, these two quotes about the gospel that I think apply to this passage and help understand why the disciples did what they did and why the Sanhedrin did what they did and why we do what we do. Unless you believe the gospel, everything you do will be driven by either pride or fear. Amen. I read that, I was like, oh, come on. It's not that simple. No, no. But unless we face the cross and say, oh my gosh, right, so, you, so you had to, like, well, you sent your son to die for me. Oh my gosh, like, you love me so much. You, you've broken the curse of, of, of humanity by dying for me and covering all of my sins, taking away, purifying me, and making me righteous, making me fully loved and fully accepted in, in God. With, with, with boldness, I can approach the throne of God. I can walk up to the throne of the master of the universe and, and just talk with him, and just talk with him because of nothing I've done, because of what Jesus did on the cross, the perfect sacrifice. So, so knowing that, that should drive out all fear in my life. If I know that the master of the universe lets me walk into his, his house and his court like, like, a, like a child, then I don't need to have any fear. So, so that should take care of that. Also, got that check. Looking at the, the remedy of someone who died in our place, meaning that we deserved what that person got, gives us a clear picture of what sin really is and what, what gravitas we need to uh, associate with sin, because that should have been us up there. And, and I think, oh yeah, I, I, I sin sometimes. You know, I have pride sometimes, and it just seems like this little, pretty little thing of like, oh, it's pride, you know, you'll, you'll get over it. It's deadly. It is deadly. And we're going to see this in here. It's, it is deadly. And the next quote here I love. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hoped. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. At the same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. 
I think the disciples got the second part right. I think that they, they had a, a pretty, pretty good, like, good feel of, like, oh, yeah, 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 God, you know, Jesus loves me, and God loves me because of this. So. But the first part, I don't think they were fully acquainted with, because Jesus gets into an argument with them about their own sin. About, he's like, you're going to do this. You're going to deny me. And they're like, no, no, we're not going to do that. And then they even go further, saying, well, we're going to die for you. Like, we're not going to do that. Oswald Chambers says, if you're a, the Christian man or woman has no business being innocent, has no business being innocent. The Christian man or woman who is innocent, who thinks themselves innocent, is the most dangerous Christian around. It's so hard to understand uh, what, the, what the depth of our own darkness. It's, it's really hard to understand because I can say, oh yeah, I, I do some, some kind of things. But then you go through history and you realize we're all the same. And uh, let's show the, okay, so before I show this picture, actually, hold on. Um, I don't know if you, do you guys know what a pogrom is? Pogrom is, a, is an odd word used to describe these times in history where a mob just got, got going and started killing a certain ethnicity or race and, and just massacring them, raping and pillaging and massacring them. Because and, 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 it's easy to look at the Nazis and go, oh gosh, there was a couple of evil guys and they just, they just like made everyone do what they wanted. But when you look at history of the pogroms about what, how evil humanity can be, unprovoked by anything else other than the fact that they're just, they're, there's pride and fear just, just driving them. And I see some of these things. So there, there was a pogrom in, in 1943, I believe. I need to double check it. It was during, during World War II. And the, the Ukrainian uh, c- uh, civilians just turned on the Jewish population suddenly like this. They just turned on them because they were afraid of the Nazis. They were afraid of the, the communists. And there were some, so, some rumors that, that there was some collusion between the Jews and, um, and, and the, the communists. And so they were, they were just, you know, it just kind of swelled. And this is a, a picture of some of the things. That, and the, people were attacked in the broad daylight in the middle of the street. Middle of the street just attacked. Uh, there, was, there was rapes. There, were, there, was, there was killings. Like, like this right here. This one, there's a kid running alongside with a bat. A little kid. And, and she's terrified for her life. And if you think for a second that's not us, then you're wrong. And that's so hard to grasp right now because it's so far removed from us and we're so comfortable and our society is so well run for the most part. But this is life without God. This is, this is life without the gospel. And this is what it leads to, is these kind of things. And we have no business being innocent. We have no business separating ourselves from this and thinking that, oh, oh we, we'd never do that. We'd, here in the U.S., we'd never do that. That is, we have no business. And we're dangerous if we think that. So the disciples... They make this commitment, which makes sense. It's, it's this own, it's because it, pride is insidious. It's not a, this thing of where it's like uh, a thing of like, like, oh, I'm, you, a lot of times I think of pride as arrogant and, and like, and big and proud, but it's insidious. It's like a, a pride of like, oh, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't deny you. That's what their pride is showing themselves. Like, oh, I wouldn't do this. I, I wouldn't deny you. And, and, and here's the thing though, is, is here's where terms and conditions come into play too. So Peter he says he's going to die with Jesus. He's like, I'll die with you. And then three hours later, he denies him, and three times. But before we get too hard on him, he's, Peter, he draws a sword 
against a mob. There's 12 of them. And they have a whole mob that's fully armed. They have two swords between the 12 of them. And he draws a sword ready to fight. So that guy was real. Peter was the real deal. And that's, that's more, I, I doubt if anyone in this room would do that. If we would just draw a sword and say, okay, bring it. I'll die. I'm ready to die with you, Jesus. He was ready to die. But he was ready to die in his, on his own terms, in his, his own conditions. And I got to imagine here, when the disciples ditched him, when they just ran away and ditched him, I wonder if it was the, this thing of like, oh, like it was, it was assumed that we're all just going to run. And then all of a sudden they get up into the hills and they look back and they see, where's Jesus? Like he didn't run with us. And they just assume that like, that we're, oh yeah, this is, this is where you would run because we're outnumbered and this is what you do. And it's so easy to kind of project, oh, I would never do that. I, would, I wouldn't abandon Jesus. I'd stand right by his side. And I don't know that we would. I don't know that we would. Because that's, because the running away is the reasonable thing. Terms and conditions are reasonable. That's the thing. They're reasonable. Hey, Don, how you doing? Oh, yeah, the sermon, the sermon, that's right. Um, so he's willing to die with him, and he, yet he, he ditches him. He's willing to die with him, but, but he draws his sword. So there's this, there's this complexity here. He's willing to fight to the death, but, he, but he, he'll fall asleep praying three times and won't pray. He'll fight to the death, but he won't pray. He'll fight to the death, but he'll ditch him. And, and that's where, what's so tricky about this is that there's, I, I, I kind of wash over my prayer life sometimes and be like, okay, yeah, I'm not praying enough, but I would do this, this, and this for you, God. And I feel like that kind of cancels it out. It covers it. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? I'd do way more than a lot of people. I would, I would totally die for you in this thing. And I think that covers it. But we're seeing here is that this prayer is, is elevated high above all everything else. And without that prayer, we're not gonna be able to do anything for God. Without that connection, we will not be able to do anything. I wonder what would have happened if you would have prayed. If you, if you would have stayed awake and prayed in the garden and connected to God, what would have happened? Maybe he would have stuck by him. You know, maybe it would have been one of those moments where, where he'd, he'd walked with him for three years, but maybe in, the, in that little prayer time, something would have clicked. And, and so when he's in that moment, when he's standing right next to him, and the mob is right there, he's able to go, I don't know what the heck you're doing right now, but I'm with you. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm with you. And that's, that should be the mantra of our life. I don't know what you're doing, Jesus, but I'm with you. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm with you. I told this story a couple years ago, but I'll, I'll just summarize it. About a year and a half after the, the Kosovo War, I went over there to do, to do a little, uh, little work. And I knew it'd be dangerous going into it, but I had this, this, this confidence and this boldness, and I was, I was young, and I was like, yeah, like, God's gonna, he'll, he'll, take, he'll take care of me, you know? And, and, I, and I was even ready to, God, ready to die for God. I was even like, you know what, if someone put a gun in my head, if someone walked around right now, put a gun in my head, I, I wouldn't deny you. And that may have been true, that may have been true. But through a series of like this 24 hours of just meeting the, the, the sketchiest people I've ever met in my life and the most dangerous people I've ever met in my life and, and, and finally arriving at 5 a.m. at this, this bombed out apartment that still had holes in it from the war and, and you're getting, and, I, and there's a field report on the bed, I'm supposed to, the cot I'm supposed to be sleeping on and I read the field report and it's describing people like around us, like in the, in the village that we live in, uh, workers dying, uh, mobs attacking them and, and dragging them out and beating them to death. And, and horrible things happening to them. And I was like, and suddenly it was just like this deep thing in my stomach. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to die like this. 
No, God, no, 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 no. Like, like not here, not in this way. No, 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 no. And it was this, this obstinacy, this, this pride that came up within me because I want to die, I'll die a hero's death for you, God, but I'm not going to die this obscure thing where they may not even find out I'm dead for weeks. And it's like, oh yeah, he went over there to help and then he died. It's like, I, I, want, I want something heroic. And then, then I'll die for you, God. And there's a term and condition on my death with you and how I live this life with you, God. And it was so humiliating for me to, to sit there and be like, gosh, just a, like a couple days ago, I was ready to die for you. And here I am like, no, 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 Put, pump the brakes. No, no, I'm not ready to die now. I'm not ready to die for you. And it's, yeah. We want to die in our own terms and conditions. We want to live our life with God in our own terms and conditions, but those are the things that destroy us. So jumping to the Sanhedrin, that's the disciples. The Sanhedrin, Pharisees and Sadducees, educated people. I describe these guys as kind of like the, the old relationship guys, the guys that have a lot of baggage with God. Those of us who have walk, walked with God for a while would probably relate to these guys more and it would, because we have, the, we have the conviction part down. We, we know we're sinful. We know we're, we know we're dark. We, we know we have a darkness. But the love factor has waned over the time. And the idea that God loves us and accepts us is really hard to, to accept and, and embrace. Because these guys knew history. These guys were, were very plugged into what, is, what the history would, which was for Israel, disobedience. You're making a mistake, you get invaded. You, you have a lot of disobedience, you get a collective punishment where a, a cruel invading army comes in, dashes your kids on the ground, and, and, and kills, yeah, rapes your women and, and kills uh, your family. That, that, that's, that's, the, that's the pattern they see. And there, there's even a, a threat in Leviticus of if you don't follow the Sabbath, like, you will get invaded. So I, see, I hear that, and I'm like, oh, well, of course, if it, when this hippie comes into town and starts healing some people on the Sabbath, I'd be like, hey, hey, hey no, you're cool, man, you're cool, but you can't do this on the Sabbath. You can't, man. Like, I, I, know, I know it makes sense that healing people, but God is crazy, and he's big, and he's tough. And so we, we can't do this. We can't do this. You're threatening our whole way of life here. You're gonna, they're going to come in and invade us and tear down the temple again. So I get some of their fear of Jesus. I get some of that fear because it's a, it's a disconnection from God, and they're just projecting all this fear onto them. And I see that in my own life so many times where I'm just like, I see so like a work of God or I see God trying to do something in my life and I shut it down because I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Like, no, no, it doesn't look like what, you know, I've been taught and I'm not disobeying God. I'm not, I'm not. Why? Because I'm afraid of him. If I knew that God loved me, I would be able to see, and if I was acquainted with him and was spending time with him, I would be able to see and recognize the Jesus in my life. But they were estranged and they didn't see him, and they didn't recognize him. So I asked myself, like, what? Why would you beat a guy like Jesus, and, like, hit him like that? I understand wanting to convict him, get rid of him, to, to condemn, condemn him to death, but why was this, this so anger, so much anger? And I thought to myself, I was like, God, what in me would punch and spit on you? And I realized nothing because I'm perfect. But um, no, it's, it's this, this pride, this, this fear, actually. This, this fear of, of feeling like I'm serving this imaginary God, this God I've invented or distorted in my head. Like that would make me punch Jesus. If I feel like I'm in service to God. If, it's, if it feels like it's something religious. And that's the thing. When we're afraid, we get religious. When we're afraid, we get fearful. 
We get violent. When we're afraid, we get violent. And that's when I would do that. When I let fear take over and I'm not acquainted with God. I'm not looking at the cross. I'm not looking at, at his love for me at all. I'm, I'm just looking at, at the, the terror of his power. The disciples got the love part but didn't get the, con, the conviction of sin part. The, the Pharisees and Sadducees got the conviction of sin but they didn't get the love part. And we need both. We need both. Because that's the thing, it's reasonable people Reasonable people have terms and conditions in their life. Like if I would have been with the disciples, I'm sure that the disciples ran back to their families that night, or you know, their families weren't there, but they ran back to their friends and be like, oh, wait, so Jesus didn't do anything? The, the, the Messiah guy you've been following, he didn't do anything to the Romans and he just like surrendered himself to the, to the high priests? Well, of course you would have run. Yeah, no, no, you did the right thing. You did the right thing. That's, that's a little odd of him. I mean, he's, he's a great teacher, but that's a little odd of him. And... I think there's plenty of reasonable people that would say, oh gosh, like you, you have this, this uh, you know, rebel leader who's uneducated, who's, who's actually like doing things on the Sabbath, which we've been punished severely for. You gotta get rid of him. It makes so much sense. You gotta get rid of him. Like maybe not kill him, but just like send him away or do something, but, or, or maybe kill him if you have to. Because serving God is the most important thing. It's reasonable people that have terms and conditions. But God is not calling us to be reasonable. He's calling us to have a relationship with him where love will just make us want to do anything for him. That commitment is, is only found in, in spending time with him. Do, reading the Bible, reading his word and, and spending time with him, which is the antithesis of what this culture allows. And the model, the model we have in the story is Jesus. So he comes to the garden. I love this. The perfect obedience that he demonstrates, the perfect surrender that he demonstrates, the life without terms and conditions that he demonstrates is praying three times for the same exact thing. The humility in that. I ask God once sometimes, and then if I do even pray, and I ask him once, and then he, and if he doesn't answer or he doesn't respond, then I'm like, okay, fine, whatever, and it must be your will, and I just, I hold a resentment in my heart, in my stomach, and that's the thing is that for relationship, like it's so humbling with, with Jill sometimes, like we'll, we'll have an argument, we'll resolve it, and then I'll walk away and I'll be like, I still don't feel good. But, but, I, I, but we, we resolved it and I still don't feel good. I still don't feel good. And it's so humiliating to go, um, honey, I still, feel, I still feel hurt. It's so humiliating. It's so humbling to be like, um, I still may hurt. But I, I need it. If I want to be close with her, if I want that intimacy, if I want that connection, I need to do that. And it's humbling to go back and ask that. It's humbling to, to do that. And for Jesus to do that for his own, for he the closest human ever to, to God, because he was fully God and fully man, for him to go back three times and ask, and th he's creating the gospel right now. He's, he's creating the good news we talk about. And it started this whole thing. Like, if, if I was Jesus, I would have been like, I would have asked once, like, hey, please don't, please take away this cup. And if he, that I didn't hear anything, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I mean, it's saving the world and humanity, so I should do this. No, no, I should. You're right, I should. I should want to do this, I should want to do this. But the model of perfect obedience went back and said, hey, I know this is saving humanity, but is there, if there's any other way, I'd, I'd really like to, to, to work it out. And he dealt with, I feel like Jesus had feelings here. He had feelings and emotions that he dealt with. 
and, and, and gave respect to. You and I need to give respect to our feelings. Not let them reign and rule. No way. But give, but give them a place, a proper place where we say, you know, God, I, I still don't feel comfortable with this whole dying to myself thing. I still don't feel comfortable with tithing. I still don't feel comfortable with, with you asking me to share in the workplace. I don't feel comfortable and, and dealing with it and actually letting it, because I, I believe this, that this, what Jesus felt when he went back three times, that was a seed, a seed of a terminal condition. It was a seed of a terminal condition that if he undealt with, would have grown up to be a real big contract and a separation from God. But instead he took that, that beginning of that terminal condition, he took that little, little beginning of that contract, the first couple words, and like walked up to him and said, Hey, I'm, I'm feeling this, this uh, distrust here. This, this, I'm not sure we, we should be doing this. And he dealt with it. And that's the model of perfect obedience. If Jesus Christ can, can go to the Father and ask that three times, the most perfect human being ever to live, then we can do it. We can do that. And real quick, I mean, it's... it's how do we do this? How do we connect with God? It's, there's a variety of ways. It definitely involves reading his word. It definitely involves that. I think it definitely involves solitude. Like this, something like a silent retreat. You can meet God with people and we're supposed to be in community. Like there's, there's a, but that we also need to be in solitude as well. And I've had times when, we, when, it looked, when meeting God was walks, long walks. I've had times when I was just sitting in my house with a Bible and a journal I've had different times. It can look like a lot of things, but if we're honest, we know what's going to work for us best. And yeah, and connect there. The only way we're going to get rid of these terms and conditions in our life is if we have that connection with him. And our life will wither or bloom based upon the amount of terms and conditions we have in our life. Josiah, do you mind playing a couple things? Thank you, man. Um, we're going to spend some time meditating and praying on these words. And I want you to, to, to close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing that and ask God these questions and just, just mull over them and let them speak to you. And before you go off and talk to anyone else after, Write down what you sense. Write down what you feel. Write down what, what comes up before you get distracted. We're going to have people over here in the corner praying for you. If you, if you want prayer, turn to the person next to you or, or go to your, one of your friends or, or come to us up in the corner and deal with this because we need, can we show those, uh, those questions? We need to deal with these terms and conditions we have with God, and we all have them, it's no shame. We just need to continually bring them for them.